in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of all gods, holiest, holiness is you. That's who you are, and we praise you even this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. On September the 11th, 2001, something happened that has changed our life for all eternity. Most of us remember what happened when the planes crashed into the towers. I remember I was in, um, out west, I can't even remember the name of the state. I was out west, I was in Kansas. I was staying at a bed and breakfast, I was preaching there, and I was to fly home the next day, and it didn't happen. <laughs> uh, it didn't happen. I fly a good bit, and um, things are different than when they used to be before 2001, September the 11th. I remember that you could walk your loved one to the gate and kiss her goodbye. <laughs> uh, no longer. I remember there was no such thing as security. It just didn't happen. Now, if you fly through Atlanta and you're getting, that's your original flight, you're 45 minutes in, in the line. That's the reason I fly out of Greenville Spartanburg now. There are 12 people in the line. But things are different. Terrorism has changed who we are, the way we do things. When we read this passage of Scripture, and um, thanks for that beautiful, beautiful song, 
But when we read this Scripture, we don't realize so often that in Isaiah's vision, uh, at that time, The whole country was in tremendous distress like we are or we were. The Assyrians were sweeping into Israel and destroying city after city after city. And just as President Bush called our nation to pray, uh, I remember it just like it was yesterday. Just two weeks before that, I had been in the National Cathedral. I had had part, just a small little part uh, of a worship service. It was the Congress on Evangelism that met uh, met there, and uh, I was at that time president of the National Association of United Methodist Evangelists, so I got to stand in the pulpit, (laughs) the same pulpit that Billy Graham stood in when he preached to our nation. Aren't you glad we had a president who would call on an evangelist to preach to our nation in a biggest time of crisis in any of our lifetime, but he did. But it was that kind of thing that, uh, that we see taking place here. Um, it was that kind of thing that um, the vision that Isaiah had of heaven at a time of tremendous turmoil in his nation. And Isaiah has a vision while he's there. The angels were covering their faces and the feet and worshiping a holy God. And the contrast is, is the nation was totally, completely uh, just devastated. And yet at the same time, he had a vision of heaven. And all he could see in heaven was worship, holiness, worshiping a holy God. John saw it the same way in the book of the Revelation. In the midst of turmoil, he saw the four living creatures crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth was full of plagues and wars, and, and yet heaven was worshiping a holy God. You see, there was no worry, there was no fear, there was no anxiety in this at all. The, centri- the uh, concentration was totally on the holiness of God. We're approaching a time in our, in our nation right now, uh, if you go back to the weather thing again, uh, it, it's, it's getting ready to be hurricane season. And, I, and I, I see the same thing every time as we get close to hurricane season. Uh, a depression will, will start in the Gulf or even further down and it works its way back up. And, and it seems like Every year they have to show uh, a special plane all equipped, you remember it, and it flies into the hurricane with all the instruments it measures and all, but it, 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 if you'll watch it, it, it plane jerks and goes back and forth and I'm thinking they're not going to make it this time. But somehow they, they make it through that wall, the outer wall of the hurricane, and gets in the middle of it and it's just as calm and peaceful and easy. And I think that's kind of what we're dealing with here in our situations in our lives. And, and, you know, it amazes me. I don't know why it amazes me. It shouldn't amaze me. But it amazes me that, that every time I go to a holiness camp meeting and I uh, 
To be honest, I, I'm, I'm kind of backing off of preaching at other kind of camp meetings. Uh, I just don't find what I need to find to preach there. But in a holiness camp meeting, it shows us that the rain falls on the just and the unjust just alike, doesn't it? There's, there are many problems. There are many problems in holiness camp means and other camp means. Uh, people have the same situations in their lives. Families falling apart. Children and grandchildren going in opposite direction. Addiction. Uh, I can remember at our camp meeting... To this day, it's the same way. Um, those in a family come part of the time, and they leave because the other part comes and stay in the same tent. And it's not because of space. It's because they won't speak to each other. In situations like we find ourselves in our world, knowing that things happen, uh, is there a possibility of in the midst of the storm to find the eye where things are calm and there's a peace and we know being carried by the wind of the Spirit, is there that possibility? Can it happen? Can there be peace in the midst of our personal storms? It happens, dear friends, when the, when the Holy Spirit of a holy God so inhabits us that there's peace in the situation. I think all of us are looking for peace, aren't we? We're looking to be the calm and the peace in the situation. And that's what happens here in this vision that, that Isaiah has. The, it, when, the, when this same vision that Isaiah has <clears throat> is lived out in our lives, we will have peace. We will be calm. When everything around us is falling apart, when all hell is breaking loose, if we have the vision that Isaiah has, there will be peace. What I want to do just morning for just a short period of time, it's not going to be long, but I want to share with you Isaiah's vision. We need to look at it very carefully because when we rediscover the holiness of God, <clears throat> Uh, we will have <clears throat> that peace. But we have to look at it specifically the way it was written. And, and, and in this vision, in these verses, uh, sequence is very important. There are some places in Scripture sequence is not important. But what I mean by sequence is that the first thing happens and then the next thing has to happen. And then the next thing has to happen. You can't get them out of order. And the word that seems to me to to indicate sequence is the word then. You get to a certain place and then it says then. And then you get to another place and, and you'll find that in verses 6 and 8. It says and then this takes place and then this will take place. So I'm just going to go through verse by verse pretty much. And, and I want, there are several points I want to make. I think four points I want to make and, and see where we come out. Number one, when we experience God's holiness... We see the Lord as high and exalted. And when we do that, when we, when we experience that holiness of God and we see God high and lifted up, we get a new vision 
We need it. And what it does for me especially is it changes the way I worship. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of music. Now, uh, I, like, I like almost every kind of music. I still have a little trouble with rap. Uh, just a little. And I know it means a lot to kids, and, 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 and the words are, are cool. I mean, they're good. They're good stuff. I, I just have a little trouble getting into rap, okay? But I can do the, I can do all of it. I, I, I can do the high worship. I can do the low worship. I can do the gospel. I can do the hymns. I can do the praise songs. Uh, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that when you're filled with the Spirit, when you have this, the same holiness that God has, and by the way, John Oswalt says, I was talking with somebody about it this week, or maybe I heard it from, the, from, from here. Um, why did Jesus come? Dr. Oswalt says, he came to make us holy. And when he makes us holy, we will be saved. We will be filled with the Spirit. Uh, but that's why he came. God says, be holy because I'm holy. He wants us to be holy. And so when, when we experience that, when, when Isaiah experienced that, I really believe it changes the way you worship. Uh, you have a focus on God. You have a focus on God as the holy God, the one on the throne. And your worship is, is totally, completely focused on that. I, um, I love to watch people worship. Well, let me back up. I love to watch some people worship. You don't understand it unless you are up here looking out there. And I have to be careful here. I, I, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings at this point, but, but I just like to watch people's faces when they really worship. There are a couple of you out there I focus on when I'm up here because it, it's just it's fun. I was... Um, I was preaching at um, Delanco Camp in New Jersey. Uh, Lynn, is that your home camp? No, but, but you've been there many times, yeah. It, it, there, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't think there were camp meetings north of the Mason-Dixon line. I'm sorry, I just didn't. And I preached at four camp meetings in New Jersey, uh, holiness camp meetings in New Jersey. But there was a group there. I cannot remember the school they were from. They were, they, were, they were doing the youth, but they were also leading in worship, too. And there were four of them, two guys and two girls, college kids, leading worship. I was in heaven all week long. There was this one girl. Yes, yeah, she, she was beautiful on the outside, but wow, could she worship. And just to watch her, it just it lifted me up. It lifted me to heaven. It, was a, it, was, it wasn't the style of worship or anything, but I could tell she was worshiping. And I think that's what it's saying here. When we experience God in his holiness, we see him as high and exalted. And when you see God high and exalted, you worship differently. I'm not talking about raising hands. I like to raise my hand. You know, I don't care about it. But, but it, you worship. You see God. You're not thinking about other things. You, you see God high and exalted. I had, the, I had the opportunity several years ago, a good many years ago now. It was shortly after communism had fallen in, in, 
in the eastern countries. I, I was invited to go. A friend of mine was heading up the trip, and he was gonna, we were going to go to, I think, like 11 countries in seven days. And we were meeting with especially Methodist folks and bishops and all that area, and we were asking them, what can we do for you? We had a, a Christian, couple of Christian businessmen. I represented pastors. We had a college uh, professor, a seminary professor, and just different ones. We wanted to know what we could do for you. And, and when we got there, it just happened to be, we were, we were worshiping in an Orthodox church, an Eastern Orthodox church. And, and Orthodox, we left the Monday after Easter. And, and the Orthodox calendar is a little bit different than our calendar. And some years, I forget, it's like two out of three or something like that. Some years, Orthodox is the week after our And it's the only year I've ever celebrated Easter twice in one year. I got over there, and, and so we went to the Eastern Orthodox Church, and, and we were told how to worship. You do these things, and you won't offend anybody, and you do this. But they have such a high view of worship. For instance, in this, East, this Orthodox church, there were no places to sit. You stood. You stood out of reverence for God. You, you, and if you were too old to sit, they had some rails and you could lean. You could hold on. And there was a huge crowd there. And we were there. And we were also told, do not put your hands in your pocket. And this will, this will really mess some of you up. You'll remember this forever. I'm sorry. It messed me up, so I might as well mess you up. But you see, you don't put your hands in your pocket when you're worshiping a holy God. You don't slouch when you're worshiping a holy God. I remember I had a district superintendent once that had his hands in his pocket when he was preaching, and he always jiggled his coins. It drove me crazy. And so next time he came, I put him in a robe. He kept trying to find the pockets. He couldn't find them. But what I'm saying here is that, are you with me? Am I, am I way off base here? Joe and John, help me if I'm off base. I, I just, there's a, this may not mean anything to you, but it means something to me. It, it, when you worship a holy God, he's holy. You worship him. Number two, it says, then, oh, excuse me. Yeah, number two, it says, then you are humbled. Verse one, in the year that King Uzziah died. This is a, it's an interesting point. Start off here. See, it, it was very common in that day to, um, to date a, uh, a king or excuse me, to date the prophet's calling by the year that the king died, the year the king reigned. Uh, if you look at Jeremiah and Daniel and Amos and Haggai and, and Zechariah, they were all, it was said, in the year that king so-and-so reigned. This is the only place I can find all in Scripture, the only place I can find in Scripture that it was in the year that such a king died. And what makes it even more interesting is that he wasn't dead. You know the story. Uzziah was, um, Uzziah was king. He was uh, crowned king when he was 16 years old. 
He was a king for 52 years. Second Chronicle tells us that uh, Uzziah became king at 16. He, was, he became rich and famous and powerful. And that was his problem. He became too powerful because it was all about him to the point at one time he decides he's going to enter the temple and burn incense. Well, that was not his job. It was the priest's job. And, and they only went into the Holy of Holies once a year, and only the chief priest went in. And you remember they tied a rope around his, his, his ankle to pull him out if, if, if the holiness of God was too much? And so Uzziah decided, I'm going to do that. And they objected. No, 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 you can't do that. He said, I'm king. I can do whatever I want to. And so he walks in. You remember what happens? He's struck with leprosy. And he goes and lives outside the city. His son Jotham became king. And Uzziah lived about another year outside the city gates and died. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. Uzziah was struck with leprosy. And, and, and I have this feeling that in the image of, of Isaiah, in the same temple, he sees what God can do. He sees the power of an almighty God. And, and I think he's seeing that the place where Uzziah was cursed. Dear friends, I, I, the power of God is not something to be taken lightly. He's king of kings and lord of lords. He is not my buddy. Do you hear me? You understand what I'm saying? He's my king. He's holy. He's just not my buddy. You know, I, I, uh, do you, some of you remember the Jesus movement? Uh, back in, the, I think it must have been the late 60s, early 70s, because I was, I remember college, and, and I remember Arthur Blessed. Somebody remember Arthur Blessed? Arthur Blessed was the, was the, just a great, great evangelist during the, during the Jesus movement, and he carried a cross, walking across the nation. I remember he ended up at Asbury Seminary when I was in seminary there. And the Jesus movement was just a, was just, it's a wild thing. Now, there were some great things that happened in the Jesus movement. But I think one of the bad things that happened with the Jesus movement, that all of a sudden God became your buddy. And your buddy's not going to object to anything you do. You could sleep with a girl that you found, and it'd be okay because God was your buddy. God is king. He's holy. I was sitting over here. The reason I wasn't standing in the first part of the service, I, I apologize for that. Um, I, was on, I was on the Internet looking up something that I couldn't find, and I still haven't found it. But let me give you just a little bit about what it says. I, I, I love C.S. Lewis. Um, I have a bow tie that came from the college that C.S. Lewis went at Oxford University. I don't mean original, but I mean uh, every college. There, I think there are 13 colleges in Oxford. And um, 
they all have their own bow ties. They all have their own colors. And uh, I, I have a, a bow tie with the colors from where he went to school. I love C.S. Lewis. I love Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, I was so glad my first grandchild came along because it gave me an excuse to buy a brand new set of Chronicles of Narnia. And we've read them and, and go over them and over them and over them. And there's this one quote, and, I, and if I mess it up, I'm sorry, but it's something like this. It's when Lucy, I think, first sees Aslan. You remember Aslan? Aslan is the lion, the Godhead figure. And, and in the Chronicles of Narnia, he's pictured as this huge mammoth lion with a flowing mane and just this large creature. And Lucy finds him all by herself, and she's scared. And she sees Aslan, and then she has a conversation with Aslan. And so she comes back, and I, I don't know who he, she was talking to, uh, but, but some of the children were gathered together, and, 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 and she says something like this. She said, I've seen him. And they say, who? I've seen Aslan. You've seen Aslan? I've seen Aslan. What's he like? Oh, he's big, and he's ferocious, and he's scary. And one of them says, oh, you mean he's bad? Oh, no, no, he's not bad. He's good. But he's ferocious, and he's powerful. And that's kind of the way I, I, I don't get me wrong. I know God can be our friend. I understand that. But, folks, I hope you understand what I'm saying. When, when we're humbled and we kneel before a holy God, there's a difference than when you kind of sashay into his presence and say, hi. We're humbled. King of kings, Lord of lords, there's something about a holy fear that's good. Then, number three, as we're humbled, we're able to see our own sinfulness. Isaiah said when he saw the Holy One, he said, Woe to me, I am ruined. He didn't say, I got a few problems I need to deal with. He said, I am ruined. You know, I, I don't think I... My testimony is, is, Betsy gave hers this morning, and I kind of heard a little bit about me in there. Uh, I was a good boy. Never really did anything wrong. Never got into trouble. Never drank. Never had a, never had a drink in my life. Never had a cigarette in my life. Didn't have premarital sex, which made it, I think, a lot harder for me to come to Jesus because I came on my goodness, I thought. And so sin was, the concept of sin was hard for me for a long time. But when I first saw Jesus, sin just 
In the light of the holiness of God, sin became exposed. Uh, my wife is a retired second grade teacher. Uh, maybe I've mentioned this before, but so often second grade teachers treat their spouses as second graders. That's just what they, they've been doing all their life. And that's the reason she repeats herself to me four times before I go to the store. And on the fourth time, I write it down. I remember one day we were expecting company. She was teaching school. I happened to be at home. And, and so she said, I need, to, I need your help. I need you to clean the house. I said, no problem. I can clean the house. And she said, well, I want to show you what to do. I said, Susan, I know what to do. She said, no, I want to show you what to do. And then she does, which I hate. I hate with a passion. She grabbed me by the wrist. Don't grab me by the wrist and take me around the house and show me what needs to be done. Leave my wrist alone. Just tell me. I'm sorry, I got get emotional about that. So she took me into the dining room. The house we had had a separate dining room, formal dining room, I guess you'd call it. And her father had given us for a wedding present or some kind of present, I guess later on it was, this beautiful mahogany dining room table. It was a big table. It would seat a lot of people, especially when you put the leaves in it. And, and we had this beautiful mahogany table. And she said, now, I, I want you to dust. I said, Susan, I know for a fact, I saw you do it. You dusted last week. We don't need to dust again. She said, oh, Tommy. And she walked over. Now, I need to tell you that God is always on my wife's side. In fact, her voice, a lot of the time, sounds like the voice of the Holy Spirit to me. And that day it did. Because the reason God was on her side is there was sun shining through the window. The dining room was in the front of the house. And the sun was shining, and she took her hand, and she went across the dining room table, and the sun shining, it looked like desert storm. I mean, you couldn't see it until she moved it, and the sun shined on the dust floating through the air. It's kind of the way it was with me and sin. I really didn't see it until I saw the light of Jesus shine in my heart, then I knew what it was. And, and I think that's where we're dealing with here. Woe to me. <laughs> Woe to me. You see, repentance is not the product of mood or fear or guilt. It comes when we realize we've offended the Holy One. When we realize that all sin is against God, Oh, I know we sin against each other, but all sin is ultimately against God. And when we realize that we have a holy God and our sin has offended Him, that's when true repentance takes place, friends. That's when true repentance happens. The revival that I mentioned earlier that happened at Asbury in 1970, it was a revival of repentance. When the first student stood up to give his testimony... It was, a, it was a testimony of repentance. When the second student stood up and gave a testimony, it was a, 
a testimony of repentance. When the first professor stood up and gave a testimony and asked forgiveness, it was a, a moment of repentance in his life. There was something I won't, don't want to go into too much of a detail with, but, but as I sat there night after night after night after I finally came to God changed my life, changed my attitude. There was a pastor that stood up. And his, his confession was something like this. I have not always had victory. I've not always had victory over lust in my life. If I were to name this pastor, many of you would know him. But that never made sense until about 30 years later, what his confession was about. I had a, there's a very large church. I, I don't have many churches that sponsor our ministry. It's a little different than missionaries. I just can't go to a church. I'm pretty much individuals. But there's one church that sponsored me for 24 years, gives every month for 24 years. The head of the evangelism committee is a very good friend of mine, a leader in that church. He called me up one Sunday afternoon and said, Tom, I need to share with you what I did. I said, what'd you do? He said, well, our pastor who very good friend of mine, uh, gave an altar call, and I had to go forward. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I, then I went up to Jim, the pastor, and I said, Jim, can I say something to the congregation? Um, pastors realize that's a delicate situation. And uh, my friend's wise enough. He said, tell me what you want to share in front of the whole congregation. And he did, and Jim said, Okay. And he said, he said, I've asked to the congregation, he said, I've asked my wife to forgive me. I've asked God to forgive me. And I need to ask you to forgive me, and I'm willing to step down from any position in the church. He said, I've, I've had a problem for a long time of pornography on the Internet. He said, I have not had victory over it. He said, I've asked God to forgive me and promise that I will do all within my power and I hope God will do all in his power to change me. I have, I've taken steps to that position. I, I, have, I have put my computer, I don't know how you do this, I'm too old to understand this, but uh, you can actually have somebody monitor your computer for you. And he said, I've got my best friend monitoring it for me. That's courage. But he repented. And because of his repentance, God has changed that man's life in a powerful way. Does he still struggle with that? I don't know. But I do know this. He is ten times more affected than he's ever been before because he was real. He was honest to God, honest for his wife. And it was a powerful, powerful time. Um, 
Isaiah was real. I am ruined, he said. Fourthly, when we realize our own sinfulness, then and only then can we receive the grace and forgiveness that God gives. Listen to verses 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. That's one of those thens, by the way. You, all this leads up to that. When it touched my mouth, with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Then listen, and your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. <laughs> wow. Wow. How many people live with guilt? I don't know how you live with guilt. I don't understand how people live with guilt. I can't live with guilt. It'll eat my lunch every day. But that, that's what happened here. That's what happened. And this last point, number five, after you've been humbled and after you've been forgiven, then, verse eight, God calls you into his service. Who shall I send? Isaiah said, I'm now ready. I'm now ready. The same vision that humiliated Isaiah now is calling him into service. God calls, God calls every believer into service. There's nothing I can find in Scripture where you're supposed to retire. You may retire from the J-O-B, but uh, God's got a, a job for every person. He call, but on, we can only be called into service. And you know, the um, church growth movement, I, I've, got a, I've got an article I wrote on my website, if you want to run to it and look at it sometime. It's, uh, it was on the church growth movement. And there were some great things that happened in the church growth movement, but one of the things I think that was bad is that all of a sudden, ministry became professionalized, in my opinion. Um, it, it became a profession rather than a calling. And the reason I think we have problems today with our seminaries and, and sometimes with our pastors and because of the seminaries is because it's become professionalized, and, and it's, it's a profession. I've talked to people that, well, we're going to try this out. You just don't try this out. Somebody came to me last week and said, I think God's called me to preach. I, I try to talk them out of it. I say, if you can do anything, anything, and be happy doing it, do it. It's only when God, you're sure, without a doubt, that God's called you into what you're doing. That's the only way you'll make it. But God does call us. And he calls, I'm not talking just about uh, ordained ministry, but God's got a ministry for all of us. Let me close with this story. I, um, my father uh, was a Purple Heart World War II veteran. Was on the second invasion to the beaches of Normandy held his lieutenant in his arms while he died. He received, my dad received shrapnel from, from a railroad cannon in France. 
And because of all of that, I, I, I like to go back and read stories. Uh, my dad never talked about it until later on, when he, a couple of years before he died, he started talking. I, I don't know if it was because of Saving Private Ryan or what, but there were, he, he did talk and told me stories. But, but this story he didn't tell me, and this story I read, it was a story about in France, much, many, many of our soldiers died in France. But this is a story about a, uh, an army division that was moving into a certain town in France. And they had come up over a mountain of a hillside, and, and, and they were marching along. In fact, they, they, were, they knew there was no problems or anything. But, and so they were just marching along the road, and they came to the top of the hill. They crested the hill. They came over, and all of a sudden, this aroma, this smell came up from the town. It was a sweet smell, really sweet smell, and they couldn't imagine what it could be. And there was a, uh, a citizen from the town that was coming this way. They were going down the hill, and, and the officer in charge walked over, and he said, Sir, tell us what that smell is, that aroma, that fragrance. And, and the man started to laugh. He said, Oh, you've never been here before. He said, No, no, this is the first time we've come into this town. He said, Tell us what it is. He said, Well, did you hear the siren that went off? A little while ago. He said, yes. He said, we knew it wasn't an air raid siren, but we didn't recognize it was a siren. He said, oh yes, that's the siren at the factory. That's the lunch siren at the factory. The factory that produces perfume, French perfume. And he said, all the workers go home for lunch. And when they leave, they have on their presence the smell, the aroma of the perfume they've been working with all morning. And when they go and they leave, the aroma goes with them. God's called us to be carriers of the aroma, the holy aroma. God's called us to be holy. God's called us to move forward. We've got to do it. We've got to do it. Number one, Isaiah experienced God in his holiness, high and exalted. Number two, he was humbled. Number three, he could see his own sinfulness. Number four, he received grace and forgiveness. And then he was called to service. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I think, uh, Tab, we'll just let Grace play, if you would, Miss Grace, and uh, maybe you find yourself in one part or more of this vision. Maybe you're struggling with seeing God as a holy God. Maybe God is humbling you right now. Maybe you've been through some circumstances that are humbling you. Maybe you see the sin, or the sinfulness. So much of my sin, I know, is not overt sin, but sin that things I just didn't do that I should have done, people I should have talked to that I haven't talked to, family members. And when we confess that sin, God is faithful and just, and He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us or purify us from all unrighteousness.
and we receive that. And God calls us. He's calling us into service. Think about God's call. If he wants you to do something, he does not quit calling. You may not hear him, and you may get your heart hardened so much that you don't hear his call anymore, but, but he does call. If you need to come, I'm not, we're not even going to. Well, let's do, let's stand, please, just for a minute or two. If you need to come here and pray about something, I invite you to come. Come and kneel and let's say, God, there's some business we need to do together today. Just gonna just, just hesitate for a minute and invite you to come, and then we'll close. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You are holy. You've called us to be holy. Lord, so often we don't know what that means. But, but at a camp like this, we, we do know what it means. We know that we're to have the same spirit that you are in us. It changes our attitudes. It changes our motives. It allows us to rise above sin. We ask that even this morning, as we leave this place, we, li we leave realizing who you are again. You've reminded us, Isaiah reminds us that you're our holy God, the one who is all-powerful and all-loving, the one who has the power to grant grace and forgiveness, the one who says, I love you with an everlasting love. And so we thank you for that. We praise you for that. We pray now as we go and enjoy the afternoon, enjoy lunch in the afternoon, that you would prepare us tonight for what Brother Joe has for us. And that we will come with expectant hearts. Things are not over here. We want to end well. We don't want to slow down until the very end. So prepare our hearts to receive, and we'll give you the praise, we'll give you the thanks. In the name of our precious Savior, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.